Well, welcome to West Meadows. If I don't know you, my name is Pastor Luke. I'm happy you are here with us. Uh, Pastor Mark and his family got to take a weekend away, so we are glad. You can pray for him, though, as they come home today through the snow, um, that they make it home safely this week. So, The question we're going to consider this morning is, following times of failure, God remains faithful to us, but will we confess and renew our faithfulness to him? Last week, we spent some time in Joshua. So we, or well, we've been spending time in Joshua. We spent time in Joshua 7, uh, where we learned about failure of Israel to defeat Ai and the sin Achan had committed. God was not going to let Israel move forward until they dealt with the sin. The failure was that Israel attacked before God had explicitly instructed them. They did it on their own. And during that time is when Achan sinned and stole some treasure, plunder, whatever, spoils, whatever, you, whatever word you want to call it. And he did that while they were attacking. So unfortunately in this case, that meant death for Achan and his family. We learned about our sin corporately and our sin individually and how that can put things on hold depending on the sin and what happens and all those things and how it affects us individually and affects those around us. The failure to follow God's plan created the sin opportunity for Achan and the disobedience. This morning we're going to talk about some times of failure though. And this was a failure for Israel, right? They didn't listen to God. We often view failure as a bad thing. Sometimes it can be a good thing. A lot of times it's a teaching lesson for us. Our next team has been asking the question. If you've been in any of our next team things or you'll have an opportunity to be interviewed uh, by the next team or go to this lunch next week. Um, one of the big questions we've been asking, what is one thing you would do for God if you could not fail at it? And the reason why we ask this question is because oftentimes we don't step out in faith or we don't do things that maybe God is prodding us to do is because we're worried we're gonna fail. So for me, personally, I've had to confront this. So each year we've done, we do ministry plans, we write up kind of the things we pray through, what God's kind of teaching us and, and asking us to do. So last year, God laid on my heart this Easter thing, this egg thing. It was kind of the idea of, can you imagine having the communities around us come and have our parking lot filled with kids and start to build relationships with people who are even different from us. It might be socially, politically, economically, whatever it might be, that are different from what we see inside this building every Sunday. That we can talk to our community, we build relationships, and eventually we can introduce them to Jesus. Because let's be honest, if you read all the statistics, the world is a lonely place. God built us for life in community. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, are not going to provide you the community you're looking for. They often more times provide anxiety or the term of fear of missing out on something. It doesn't provide that genuine, deep community. So for me, what happened here that I had to confront this was, is last year when we came up with it, I was really excited. I actually started with the number 10,000 eggs, not 5,000. Pastor Mark was like, maybe we should start a little smaller. So uh, I was really jazzed about it. I had prayed through it. I was like, yep, this is it. And so 
did my ministry plan, we put it on the back shelf, it sat there, and then we had a ministry team meeting a month or so ago, and we're like, okay, we look forward to what's happening in the next few months, and oh, Easter comes up. Oh, maybe we shouldn't do that. Um, you know, my, I had let my fear and the idea of failure kind of start to seep in. I'm like, what happens if nobody comes? What happens if we don't have enough eggs? What happens if this is too crazy? Maybe I didn't really hear from God. Maybe I'm crazy. And if you know me well at all, you know that I have ADHD, so I'm all over the place. So constantly, I probably think I'm crazy. But the blessing here is that God has placed me on a team. So we sat in that team meeting, and I'm kind of trying to backpedal and be like, no, I don't think so. But the funny thing is, is all those people in that room had heard my ministry plan the year before, right? They had, they had talked through me with it. We had talked about what this would look like, how we would do this, if this was part of what we thought God wanted to do here. And so they pushed back on me and said, no, we're going to do this, even though I wasn't really willing to. And so at that point, I had to kind of confront this idea of that God is faithful, and am I going to confess to him, which I had to make a confession to him, that God, I, I'm looking at this through eyes that aren't yours. I'm looking this through my own eyes and my own strength and my own issues and putting failure through that. So God really is faithful through this, and uh, he will be faithful through it. And so now, because of me walking through this, you get to experience this with us. You get to participate, whether it's bringing those eggs that you get at the store, or the candy or whatever, or maybe you want to volunteer um, at Connections. The sheets are divided up so you know what positions you could sign up for. And you're going to get to welcome our community that's around us. And that we can experience it there here. As many of you might know or don't know, uh, our church isn't super well known. I had a conversation with somebody yesterday, or last, last Friday, sorry, and uh, I'm like, oh yeah, we're the building you know, on the Henday, da da da, we're not, don't go so far as the Hamptons and you've got Weka and that kind of a thing. And he's like, I don't know where that is. And I'm like, okay. And so I explained again, oh, wasn't that built like 20-some years ago? There was nothing out there. And I'm like, yep, that's, that's it. But the community just doesn't necessarily know. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that West Meadows is a gym. And at this point, I'm ready to open memberships if we're going to be a gym, right? We raise a little money. But uh, God is still faithful, and he will be faithful through this. So this morning, uh, if you want to pull out your Bibles, get out your apps, whatever you use to look it up, there's also Bibles in the pew in front of you if you want to pull those out. We're going to turn to Joshua chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 1 this morning. Also, if you don't own a Bible and you want a Bible, take the Bible, pew, the, the Bible in the pew in front of you, and uh, we'd love for you to take that home. Like, that's what they're there for, so... Uh, Turn with me as we go to Joshua chapter 8 in verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up. Attack I. 
For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. This is a much different than the ending that we just saw in chapter 7 where Achan and his family were put to death and then it says the Lord turned from his burning anger. Now, God has settled, the sin has been settled. Israel is now right with God. We see in chapter 8 verse 1 that God is telling Joshua not to be afraid because this task is of God, with God. God has to be present and in this in order for this to be accomplished. So he's really directing Joshua here before he wasn't. And God is faithful. So if we remember our question, following times of failure, God remains faithful to us. But will we confess and renew our faithfulness to him? Joshua's ready to be faithful and the Israelites are ready to be faithful to what God has. So continuing on, God tells Joshua to go attack Ai and that God will deliver the city, the people, and the land, and the soldiers should get ready for battle. Make a plan, go north of Ai, go west of Ai, and the soldiers are then set out ready for an ambush. Then Joshua Joshua and Israel pretend to be beaten back. They flee towards the wilderness. They uh, draw the troops in verse 15 away from the city. And then in 18, we see the Lord said to Joshua, hold out the javelin in your hand toward I, for I will hand the city over to you. So Joshua held out his javelin towards it. Then the city was ambushed, plundered, burned, only taking what God had instructed them to, and they killed the king and put a large pile of rocks over him. Over him. This is a point. As we've seen in Joshua before, this is a remembrance point. Like the memorial that was built when they crossed the Jordan and other things, remembering that God is faithful here. Israel continues to have to be reminded that God is faithful much like us as believers. There are a couple different points here to note, though. This time was different for Israel. They waited on God. God instructed Joshua to attack Ai with all of his troops. Israel had attacked before, but they did not have that direction. Their pride and sin was gone. So the sin that Achan had committed was now dealt with. They were no longer prideful that they could do it on their own. They had a dependence upon God. It has been said, although they surprised the city by ambush, the success of the war was dependent upon God's blessing. As long as Joshua stretched forth his javelin in petition to God, the victory was Israel's. This is reminiscent of when Moses lifted his hands and arms when Israel defeated Amalek in Exodus. Israel destroyed the city but was permitted to take the spoil since the place was condemned to be a ruin. Its name, I, actually meaning ruin, was very appropriate. And lastly, they worship God. Israel learned through the tragedy that their success was solely dependent upon God. Therefore, and thereafter, therefore, after their victory, they worshiped the Lord and gave thanksgiving. This really describes the relationship between God and us. God is faithful to us. He is always there, but sometimes we're not. We often move on our own tangents. We get distracted. We think something else is better. But God waits faithfully for us. 
As I was thinking about that this morning, or this morning, this week, the thought of a toddler entered my brain. I don't know why, because I have a three-year-old toddler at home. Um, But this kind of idea hit me. Our three-year-old currently is in the stage that he knows best. He knows what's best for him. He knows how to do it. He can handle it. Leave me alone, mom and dad. I got this. And if you've ever tried to convince a three-year-old that he is not right, you are exhausted by the end of the day. No matter how you try, they, they, they just can't get past this point. Now, of course, I'm not talking about letting them do something like dangerous or something like that. I'm talking about, though, letting them learn a lesson. So, for example, my three-year-old is in a mixing stage. We have a kitchen he got for Christmas, and he's got a little blender and whatever, and, and constantly he's mixing liquid, right? Like anything he can find, he puts in this thing. So a great example is, to help him learn, is he often thinks that it's a good idea to mix different drinks together. So you take milk and you take orange juice and they should go together, right? So you put them together, you let him learn. I know it will taste bad. I know it's not a good idea, but I'm dad and so obviously I don't know. But I also hear from other parents that this happens at the teenage stage as well, that uh, teenagers know everything as well. Uh, So as a parent, you wait patiently, right? We're always patient, we're always kind, we never get upset. Um, And and oftentimes you have to resist the choice to uh, say, I told you so, but lesson learned. So as he kind of wants to do it on his own, we're kind of like that with God. God, I know what to do here, let me just do it. Let me mix these things together and see what happens. When we make choices contrary to God's plan, we sin. But we can restore that relationship with him. Because that second part in that question is, will we be faithful to confess and renew our faithfulness to him? We find this in our scripture reading for today, in 1 John 1, 5-7. It really outlines our relationship with God. When our sin gets in the way, God doesn't leave us. He is faithful. But there's what I like to call a pause that happens. Like with Israel, God was not going to move forward until the sin was dealt with. So there was this pause on them completing that attacking of A in the right way and on God's terms, right? So sin gets in the way. Read with me in... uh, John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, which say, uh, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. We claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness. We lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Think of it this way. Give you a little illustration today. 
if God is white and pure, right, and sin is black, then there tends to be, we love this color in life, right? I guess this is, I was told this week that gray is the in color these days. So, there is this middle shade of gray, right? Well, God is sinless, Jesus is sinless, so this, what I call the muddly gray area can't exist for them, right? God and Jesus are pure over here. They're waiting for us. We make choices, and we end up over here in this darkness, sin kind of area. They can't move this way, but we can move back, right? And oftentimes, I think of it like this way. If we're in kind of sin, and we've done something that we need to confess to God, oftentimes we move kind of out of the black towards the gray because we know what we should do, but we kind of don't want to do it and that kind of a thing. But we can move back to the white if we are faithful to confess. There's a book called With, and it's about being with God. And Sky Jahani, the author, puts it this way. As much as we might treasure God and desire him, there is something preventing us from living with him, and that something is called sin. That idea that we disobey God to do our own thing. So will we be faithful to confess and renew our faithfulness to him? Have you ever felt that weight or that conviction of sin placed on maybe God's asked you to do something, maybe he's called you to something, maybe there's somebody you need to talk to, and then you make that detour instead, you, and now you look back and you go, oh, I thought I knew what was best. I took control. I made that decision. Personally, I find when there's a detour, it's, uh, it's self-motivated, right? And for me, it often lacks fear or anxiousness because I got this. When I know what God wants and I've been listening, I, what happens for me is I realize there are steps that I can't take on my own. There are things that need to be accomplished or paths I can't see that I need God. And he's right there waiting for me. But I can do a great job of convincing myself that, oh, this is the much better path. I can even do a good job some days of convincing myself that this is what God wants instead of what he really wants, right? I think back to that Easter thing where I was trying to convince my staff, the staff team that I serve on that we shouldn't do this. When we are walking... In the darkness of sin, God is still faithful, but we're the ones who need to make it right with him. God loves you and is here with open arms. And I remembered as I was praying through this, the idea of that story of the prodigal son popped in my head. The idea of the son who takes his inheritance, runs off, has a kind of a crazy experience in life, does what he wants to do, ends up poor and broke and all those things, and eventually comes home to his father, and his father opens the arms and takes him back in. God wants to do that with you, no matter where you're at or what you've done or what your sin, sin is or the current sin you might be struggling with. So I think we just have to remember that part, that we have to be faithful to confess. 
But there's a second component to this that I think sometimes we miss. As we talked about last week, we're all in this together, right? As a church, we're all in this. As we walk in life together, as we do life groups together, as we do events together, whatever it might be, we do this. And it's quite ironic because the church had some office furniture donated uh, this week um, with some pictures. And one of them, it says, working together. But it's got, underneath it, it's kind of got the same thing of, we're all in this together in the little slogan part. So it is now hanging back by the um, staff offices. So the idea is, is that we're in this. So it's important that for us to remember to forgive as you've been forgiven. We see this played out in Matthew 18. So if you want to turn in your Bibles there with me, we will uh, walk through a little bit in Matthew 18. We're going to talk about uh, the parable of the unfor- unmerciful or uh, unforgiving servant, depending on what uh, your translation says. This one might be slightly different than the one in front of you. This is a CSB Bible that I'm reading from today. I just like the language of it. Um, so it says, starting in verse 21, Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Jesus would answer and say, I tell you not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. And the idea here is remember that it's not an exact number here. Like while there is a number in here, the idea is is that you forgive, period. That you forgive as Jesus has forgiven you, you forgive as well. There isn't this like, You shouldn't be having a chalkboard for your friends and family that you're like ticking boxes like, ah, they're to 70, they only got seven more, and we'll see what happens, right? And so we'll see this played out as Jesus shares this story. And uh, starting in verse 23, for the reason the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, One who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he and his wife and children and everything he had had to be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me. I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave the loan. So the idea here of there is forgiveness, we know. In Jesus, we find that as believers. Continue on, it says, At this, the fellow servant fell down. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, let's see. That servant went out and found one uh, of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. He grabbed him and started choking him and said, Pay what you owe. At this, the fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me, I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have also have mercy on the fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. 
So also, Jesus says here, my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives your brother or sister in, from your heart. Forgive as you've been forgiven. That idea that you have mercy on others. We know that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, forgave us. We need to forgive others. We need not to let whatever happens turn into sin in our own lives. Maybe today you feel like you're kind of spinning your wheels in life or on a specific topic or subject or something that's happening. Maybe you feel like there's a pause on God's plan in your life. While there might be several reasons for this, maybe you're supposed to wait, for example. However, today I'd ask you to consider, is there something you need to confess? Is there something you need to confess to be faithful and renew your faithfulness to him? As we get ready and move towards communion in the next few minutes, here's some questions to consider. What is unresolved in your life? Is there something you need to forgive? Maybe you need to ask someone for forgiveness. For you today, maybe it's to bring, maybe it's for you to bring Jesus in, into a relationship with him. Maybe you need to have that relationship with Jesus. Or maybe it's a renewed commitment to that relationship with him. Will we confess to him how we have moved off his path at times? Renew our commitment to him and continue through his ways and not ours. Before we start communion, um, as we now are going to go to a time, uh, we're going to take a couple minutes. I'm going to allow you some time to uh, be alone with God, confess, listen, put our hearts in line, and renew our commitment to him. So join me as we're going to take a couple of minutes silently. You can pray to yourself, and uh, when we're done, I will pray, and we will uh, begin uh, communion this morning.